This episode is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. Live now on Kickstarter. You summoned me, mistress. Go to Arkham, gather relics and new initiates to grow our numbers. Return them to me and find exaltation in our lord's amaranthine embrace. Thy will be done. Squamish Studios presents Arkham Relic Hunt, a competitive card game for two to four players designed by Damon Gregory. Move your acolyte through HP Lovecraft's Arkham. Build up your final score by discovering relics and gaining new initiates for your order. Cast rituals and spells to help achieve your goals or sabotage other players. The player with the most points at the end win. Those familiar with the Cthulhu Mythos will find familiar items and magic harvested from stores by Lovecraft and Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Now, what treasures lay hidden in Arkham's shifting shadows? Follow Squamish Studios on Facebook for more details. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's that time of year again, where we dust off our hazmat suits and reach to the back of the closet for our brown pants. I would like to personally invite you to go ahead and suspend that disbelief and join me for the seventh annual Ms. Cryptid Contest! Ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host on this campaign of damn pain, David Flora, and I welcome you to another year of fear. Begun in 2013, the Miscrypted Contest has been an annual event here on Blurry Photos, where the Beast and Frightest compete for your adoration and the coveted Golden Goatman Trophy. And some lucky listeners will be going home with some coveted items as well, including t-shirts, stickers, and a miscrypted prize pack, which includes t-shirts and stickers. This year, we have nine smelligant ladies hailing from seven delicate continents, competing for four total weeks for one golden goatman. We'll ogle three contestants from the worlds of cryptozoology, myths, and folklore each week for the next three weeks. It's a lot of numbers there in those sentences. We start this year's contest with critters from the United States, Japan, and the frigid waters off the coast of Antarctica. Parading before us this week are the Nain Rouge, the Uabami, and the Ningen. Make sure your goggles are tight and your ponchos are covering everything, especially if you're in the splash zone. It's time to start the 2019 Miss Cryptid Contest! 
Hey everybody, welcome to Blurry Photos and another year of the Miscrypted Contest. Once again, I'm David Flora, and I am excited to bring you another year of pageantry and contestry. That's right, the 2019 Miscrypted Contest continues its tradition of not only giving you a host of horrors from all over the world, it also gives you a chance to win a prize pack full of wondrous and exciting things. Courtesy of me, David and Blurry Photos Podcast. And of course, that prize pack will include your very own Golden Goatman Trophy replica. And our friend Derek over at Monsters Among Us Encrypted Crate was also generous enough to send a cryptid crate that will be included in this year's pack. It's like two prizes in one. So how do you win such a magnificent prize? Well, you, the listener, can go online and cast your vote for which contestant was your favorite each week. The cryptids with the most votes each week will move on to the finals, where you, the listener, will vote on who you think should be crowned champion. You can vote once per week for a total of four entries into the lottery where I'll be drawing a winner from. One lucky winner will receive the prize pack, one lucky runner-up will receive a t-shirt, and one lucky listener will be Miss Congeniality and receive a bunch of stickers and magnets and stuff. So, vote early, vote four times. And if you want to win, you'll, you'll have a chance to enter your name and email so I can contact you. If you don't want to win any prizes, you can still vote. And I encourage you to do so. It's up to you. Don't cheat. That would be a, a real a douchey move. Plus, I go through all the emails. So, with the rules and the haze and the hose out of the way, let's get the 2019 Miss Cryptid Contest rolling with... The Nain Rouge. <laughs> Hailing from Detroit, Michigan, is a red-faced, sharp-toothed little character called the Nain Rouge, an Americanization of the French term non rouge, meaning red dwarf. He has been variously described, but most descriptions include his small stature blazing eyes and sharp teeth. Some say he's a devilish-looking imp. Others say he looks more like a grumpy old man with a red complexion, or even red fur covering his body. He's said to be a harbinger of doom, appearing just before or at times of misfortune. While tales of him date back to the 18th century, perhaps longer depending on Native American connection, the first recorded mention of him comes from Legends of Le Detroit, an 1884 work by Marie Carolyn Watson Hamlin, who was probably glad her parents went with Marie and not Marilyn. Marilyn Carolyn Watson Hamilton. I'll share a slightly paraphrased version of her entry on the Nain Rouge. Antoine de la Motte Cadillac was a French military officer who had been fighting and exploring the frontier of the New World in the late 17th century. In his campaigns, he had noticed a particularly strategic spot where a fort would be most advantageous to the French holdings in that area. The spot was called Le Détroit, the Strait, and he eventually gained the consent of the colonial minister to implement his daring scheme of building a fort there. Strains of music mingled with sounds of revelry and joyous laughter issued from a banquet hall in the grand old castle of Saint-Louis, Quebec, 
on the evening of the 10th of March, 1701. A festive dinner party was being held with many French officers in attendance, Cadillac included. Whilst Merriment was at its height, a servant whispered something in the host's ear, and he, turning to the guests, said, Messieurs, an old fortune teller craves to enter. Shall I bid her do so? All were in that happy frame of mind, eager for any diversion, and a full chorus of, Oui, monsieur, was the response. One of the gentlemen proposed to change places so as to puzzle the old witch if she had heard anything from the servants. The party had barely changed when the door opened and the figure of an old woman entered. So strange, so bizarre was her appearance that a murmur of surprise greeted her. A woman of unusual height, a dark, swarthy complexion, restless, glittering eyes, strangely fashioned garments yet in harmony with her face. Someone said, What is your name? In a deep, sonorous voice with a slight foreign accent, she answered, They call me Mère Minique, la sorcière. On her left shoulder was perched a black, meager cat. Half a dozen palms were stretched forth for her inspection. One after another, she read. When she hesitated, the cat would lick her ear, and the more superstitious thought it the devil giving information. Many were the lively sallies as she betrayed some marked peculiarity of the guest, and whisperings of amazement, as at times her knowledge seemed almost supernatural. At last she came to Lamotte de Cadillac, who, naturally skeptical, said, Ma bonne mère, see what you can tell for me of the future. I care not for the past. Earnestly scanning his bold, energetic face, she took a brazen basin, into which she poured from a curiously carved silver vial, which she drew from her breast a clear, heavy liquid, like quicksilver, and holding Lamotte Cadillac's hand, gazed into the basin. Sir, she said, yours is a strange destiny, a dangerous journey you will soon undertake. You will found a great city, which one day will have more inhabitants than New France now possesses. Many children will nestle around your fireside. She paused, and Cadillac, thoroughly interested, bade her continue. Mon Chevalier, I wish you had not commanded me to go on, for dark clouds are arising, and I see dimly your star. The policy you intend pursuing in selling liquor to the savages, contrary to the advice of the Jesuits, will cause you much trouble, and be the cause of your ruin. In years to come, your colony will be the scene of strife and bloodshed. The Indians will be treacherous. The hated English will struggle for its possession. But under a new flag, it will reach a height of prosperity, which you never in your wildest dreams pictured. You will bask in a sunnier climate, but France will claim your last sigh. Shall my children inherit my possessions? asked Cadillac, unconsciously giving utterance to the secret desire of his heart. Your future and theirs lie in your own hands. Beware of undue ambition. It will mar all your plans. Appease the Nanrouche. Beware of offending him. Should you be thus unfortunate, 
Not a vestige of your inheritance will be given to your heirs. Your name will be scarcely known in the city you founded. All were deeply impressed by the prophecy of the Sibyl, save him to whom it was addressed. Shortly afterwards, the party separated, and Cadillac amused his wife by giving her a humorous account of the old prophetess. But to his amazement, she too seemed to look upon the event as of grave import. On the following day, Lamotte Cadillac bade farewell to Quebec and left with his expedition of fifty soldiers and fifty artisans and voyagers. On the 24th of July, 1701, with great ceremony, pickets for a new fort on the site of an old stockade were erected, and a storehouse built on the foundation of an abandoned one, previously constructed by the Cour de Bois for their winter supplies. A salute was given from the guns brought for the new fort, which Cadillac christened Fort Pontchartrain. On the 26th, St. Anne's Day, with clerical ceremony, the foundation of the first church west of the Alleghenies was laid. Soon the stockade, which enclosed about an acre, was finished, and the streets of St. Anne and St. Louis was laid out and lined with the barracks for the troops and with houses constructed of hewn logs. Detroit was founded, and its prospects for a successful colony bright. The fortune teller's prediction, or at least part of it, was verified. Six years later, Le Detroit was flourishing, and a grand celebration was held on May Day. Afterwards, Cadillac and his wife were strolling in what was called the King's Garden, discussing the colony's prosperity and what the future held. Thus, they were talking when two weary revelers, homeward bound, passed so near them that fragments of their conversation fell on their ears. Yes, said Jean-Baptiste. Our senior and the dos blanc carries themselves very high with their silver plate and fine clothing. Whilst we poor inhabitants must pay double for everything, even our petit coup d'eau de vie. Things cannot run very long thus, answered his companion. My wife saw a few days ago Le Petit en Rouge, and then she said that The rest was lost as the speakers disappeared. Cadillac's wife grasped her husband's hand convulsively and said, Did you not hear? Le Petit en Rouge is the dreaded... Non Rouge. What of that? said Cadillac. Beware the Non Rouge was what that prophetess told you. When he should come, misfortune was nigh. Ah! laughed Cadillac. Have you not forgotten that nonsense of a silly old fortune teller? Let us return home. Annoyed himself at the remembrance, and doubly so at his wife for unconsciously giving utterance to his vague uneasiness. They proceeded in silence. Suddenly, across their path, trotting along the beach, advanced the uncouth figure of a dwarf, very red in the face, with a bright, glistening eye. Instead of burning, it froze. Instead of possessing depth, it emitted a cold gleam like the reflection from a polished surface, bewildering and dazzling all who came within its focus. A grinning mouth, displaying sharp, pointed teeth, completed this strange face. <gasps> It's the non-rouge, whispered Cadillac's wife. Before she had time to say more, Cadillac's ill nature had vented itself in striking the object with a cane he held in his hand, saying, Get out of my way, you red imp! A fiendish, mocking laugh pierced the still night air as the monster vanished. (laughs) 
You have offended him, said Madame. Your impetuosity will bring you and yours to ruin. You were told not to coax him, to beware of annoying this demon. And in your ungovernable temper, you do just otherwise. Misfortune will soon be our portion. Cadillac, shortly afterward, visited Montreal, was arrested through the intrigues of his enemies, and was compelled to sell his seigneury in Detroit to pay for his trial. He was removed to Louisiana as governor, but died at Castle Saracen in France. His children never inherited an acre of his vast estates. His colony for the next hundred years was the scene of strife, war, and massacre. Its flag changed five times. Under that of the Republic, it reached that glorious prosperity which the fortune teller had predicted. The Nan Rouge in the mystic past was considered the Banshee, or Demon of the City of the Straits, and whenever he appeared, it was a sure sign of impending evil. The night before Dalzell's ill-fated attack at Bloody Run, he was seen running along the shore. And in 1805, when the city was destroyed by fire, many an old habitant thought they caught a glimpse of his malicious face as he darted through the burning buildings. On a foggy morning before Hull's cowardly surrender of Detroit, he was seen. But since then, he has never reappeared, having, it is to be hoped, accomplished his mission. But the tradition still lingers among the old inhabitants, that should misfortune ever threaten the bonny city of the Straits, the Nan Rouge will appear again to give the signal of warning. Paranormal investigator John E.L. Tenney has also traced a possible connection of the Nain Rouge's origins to Algonquin tales of creation. In this line of thought, the Nain Rouge would perhaps be a nature spirit, formed in the manner of fairies and other supernatural creatures, that guard or protect particular regions. These spirits would then have been demonized as European settlers spread across America, and what was originally a protector could have gotten turned into a trickster. At least that's how one theory goes. Besides Hamlin's work, Charles Skinner wrote a pretty embellished account of it in 1896's Myths and Legends of Our Own Land. Within the last decade, there has been renewed interest in the Nain Rouge, and now you can find an annual parade, the Marche du Nain Rouge, where you can dress in costumes, sing and dance, and banish or welcome the Nain Rouge, depending on which version of him you believe. And that, mesdames and messieurs, is the Nain Rouge. From the Motor City, we take a long flight across the West Coast and the Pacific to Japan, home of the Uabami. The Uabami, also known as the Yamakachi, is a giant snake of Japanese folklore. Their distinguishing feature is their humongous size, with a girth bigger than that of a mature tree. But otherwise, they appear as an ordinary snake would. They make their homes in the mountains and rivers of Japan, away from the busyness of civilization. Like Mount Tsurugi and Mount Tewa according to some relatively recent sightings from 1973. While gigantic snakes are pretty fearsome to begin with, the Uabami go a step further with a grim set of traits. They are possessed of extreme, almost insatiable appetites, 
capable of swallowing things even larger than themselves. They can easily swallow unwary humans and have been blamed for many livestock disappearances. In some tales, they can also shapeshift, and some even say they have limited elemental control over wind and rain. However, their appetites come with a price, for the Uabami are extremely fond of sake. They will gulp down every last drop they can get their greedy little forked tongues on, and are oftentimes found as drunk as a poet on payday. In fact, the name can apparently be used to refer to someone who is a heavy drinker these days. Though fond of drink, the Uabami still manage to set up clever ambushes to prey on people traveling along mountain passes. But if you're particularly ambitious, you can outwit one and capture it, then display it for a pretty penny. Stories of Uabami are varied in Japanese myths and often involve great heroes slaying them, including Heita Tenenaga, who killed one by a waterfall in one battle, and got swallowed by one and cut his way out in another battle. There's even a tale of an eight-headed Uabami that was tricked into drinking eight bowls of sake at once, and slain by Susano, a storm god, who cut it up and found the legendary sword Murakumo no Tsurugi inside it. Then there's this random, rather embellished account from the New York Times, 13th of August, 1891. Swallowed by a snake, a Japanese story of a woman-eating serpent. The steamship Oceanic, which arrived last night from Hong Kong and Yokohama, brings copies of a native Japanese paper called the Kokai, which publishes a remarkable story of a monster serpent. It says that on the 17th, a man called Niyamura Tahichi, 25 years of age, went out with his wife, Otora, who was 48, to pursue his usual avocation of tree cutting in the Koshitamura province of Lamba. The husband and wife separated at a place called Matsuyama. Shortly afterward, while engaged felling a tree, Kahichi thought he heard his wife cry out. Running to the place, he was horrified to find that a huge snake, described as being three feet in circumference, had Otora's head in its mouth and was engaged in swallowing her despite her struggles. Tahichi ran off to the hamlet and summoned seven or eight of his neighbors, who, when they reached the scene of the catastrophe, found that the snake had swallowed the woman as far as her feet and was slowly making its way to its home. They were too much terrified to touch it, and it finally effected its escape unmolested. The province of Lamba is one of the most desolate in Japan, and monster reptiles and wild animals are frequently killed there. A... 48-year-old woman was swallowed while her 25-year-old husband watched? Headline should have read, Snake Eats Cougar, am I right? <laughs> there was actually another article that was almost identical uh, in an Australian newspaper, which claimed the man was 50 instead of 25, and it seemed more legit in terms of surnames and region names. Kind of crazy all around. Just... Keep your wits about you next time you're traveling on a lonely Japanese mountain road, lest the same fate befall you from the Uwabami. And lastly tonight, we take a boat ride to the Southern Hemisphere to look for the Ningen.
So far, the contestants have pretty decent pedigrees, with stories dating back hundreds of years or more. Our third contestant bucks that trend, dating from the early 2000s, or the 90s at most. If we're just coming from Japan, our trip was made on a Japanese research vessel, as this cryptid has its origins with researchers from Japan who claim to have seen it in the icy waters near Antarctica. Spotting what looked to be a submarine, the crew soon discovered that a 20 to 30 meter or 60 to 90 foot long object in the water was very much alive and very much disturbing. Getting close enough to see details, they witnessed a huge, roughly humanoid shape moving through the water, white in color, and possibly with arms and legs, possibly with long fins, a mermaid tail, or perhaps tentacles. Its head was bulbous and smooth, having, quote, a small slitted mouth and two vacuous eyes. Due to its shape and form, they called it simply Ningen, or human. This encounter was apparently posted to the 2chan forum, causing a big enough stir that the Japanese paranormal magazine MU picked it up and ran a speculative article about Antarctic humans, complete with a supposed Google Earth screenshot of what was claimed to be a Ningen. It's believed they're more active at night and are hard to photograph. However, there is a conspiracy which involves the Japanese government and a disinformation campaign to cover up their existence. In this conspiracy, several low-quality photos and videos have been released purporting to be evidence of the Ningen in order to discredit it and make the whole thing seem ridiculous. Any actual witnesses to the creatures are said to have been visited by men in black and advised to keep silent. The reason for the cover-ups are just as wild. The government could be silencing the Ningen's existence because the creatures have the capability to produce a rare chemical useful for medicine. Or the opposite. They produce a chemical that is incredibly toxic and can be weaponized. Explanations for the creature, if it exists, run the gamut from alien to giant albino ray, whale, or some unknown species. No actual evidence for it exists to date, nor does any verified photo or video. Given the early internet's fertile ground for hoaxes, this one gets plenty of side-eye for credibility. And given the expensiveness of any excursions to the Antarctic, it's probably not one that's going to be studied or verified anytime soon. Which means the truth of this cryptid is still treading water. That's the Ningen. And that's it for the first week of the 2019 Miss Cryptid Contest. While the crew mops up the stage viscera, let me distract you with a couple puns. Japanese folks sometimes describe weird sensations where they suddenly feel like they've done something before, only with a snake. They call this feeling deja vu abami. 
think Detroit is your ally, but you merely adopted Detroit. I was born in it, molded by it. I didn't see Eight Mile until I was already a dwarf. By then it was nothing to me but tiring. The lions betray you because they belong to me, the Bane Rouge. Sorry, Batman. Stick to Gotham. Stay out of Detroit. So, now it's up to you to head over to blurryphotos.org and cast your vote for which contestant captured your heart this week. Who should move on to the finals this year? The Nain Rouge? The Uwabami? Or the Ningen? Vote soon. There's only one week to do so from the time this episode drops. The form will be on the website homepage. Just scroll down a bit until you see it there. You can also find links to support the show like the donate button, my Patreon, and coffee.com slash blurry photos. That's K-O-F-I. Make sure you've liked the Blurry Photos Facebook page and join the Blurry Photos fan page for a great community of awesome Blurrievers who share all kinds of fun stuff. And if you're on Twitter, please follow Blurry underscore photos. Hope you enjoyed the first week of the 2019 Miss Cryptid Contest. I have been David. Is that a cat on your shoulder or are you just happy to see me? Flora. Till next time. Flora.